Continuing unrest in Morvania, where dictator Václav Draxen has been slain in events involving a peasant uprising, and possibly a golem, as well as the Incredible Hulk. In the Pacific Island nation of Lakeani, weapons magnate Tony Stark's munitions plant is being picketed by a group of protesters, led by Major Hubert Folks. A riot has also broken out in New York City, during the Vice President's visit to the New York Hilton. Right-wing film star Buck Ralston, praised the rioters in a press conference on Hollywood Boulevard. And, this just in, the entire island of Manhattan has been taken hostage by Ares of the Zodiac. Ransom has been set at $1 billion. A spokesperson for Reed Richards notes that he and his associates were, very conveniently, outside the city at the time. This is Doombot FH36 for the VOL. Zero. Two. Nine. This is the voice of Latveria. Zero. Two. Nine. Here in Latveria, we get news from all over the world. The news may be good or bad, but we will always tell you the truth, as Lord Doom sees it. Every week on The Voice of Latveria, we examine Marvel Comics history, through the career of its greatest hero, Dr. Victor Von Doom. And now, here's your host, Douglas Walk, the man who has read every Marvel superhero comic book, and lived to tell us all about it. Thank you so much, Dubai GW6. Before we get started this week, I've got a special announcement. My book, All of the Marvels, about reading all 27,000 Marvel superhero comics, is coming out from Penguin Random House this October 12th. And if you pre-order it this week, before this Friday, September 17th, through the link on our website at voiceoflatveria.com, your copy will come signed to you or whoever you want, and it will have a special bonus an extra chapbook with a little essay that's not in the book itself. So you're going to want to pre-order all the Marvels pretty much right away. Again, this offer is really only good through this Friday. Our guest this week is the fantastic arts journalist and co-host of the Wait What podcast, Graham McMillan, to talk with me about Thor number 182 and 183. Graham, welcome. Douglas, I've got to tell you, these comics are amazing. Yeah. Like uh, these comics are are so fun. These comics were genuinely a thrill to read yeah. for for multiple reasons. But I think my favorite reason, honestly, has very little to do with Doctor Doom, okay. and has everything to do with Stanley. Either doesn't know or doesn't care how people's jobs work when it's real <laughs> jobs in the real world. <laughs> and Seymour, it, well. So the, the, the whole gimmick of the first part of The Prisoner of the Power and Doctor Doom, which is such a, a, an incredible title, you know, the melodrama of these comics is, is great in and of itself. But the whole gimmick is Donald Blake, Thor's alter ego, lures Doctor Doom to America by playing on his vanity, by saying that there is now a new plastic surgery procedure that will heal the most you know, destroyed feast. And and Dr. Rim has, has always been very vain about how ugly he is. But A, since when has Donald Blake been a plastic surgeon? Yeah. And B, he apparently got that on the front page of a newspaper just by calling up a reporter. Yes. So the reporter, <laughs> like the reporter either did no background check on this non-existent procedure and still got it on the front page of the thing. But also... Tom Blake's not a plastic surgeon. No, and, really and at one point, he talks about how he is 
a surgeon. There's even like the the the, the M dash and then a surgeon. Yes, it all bold, as if surgeons are just surgeons. That's what they do. They surge. Yeah, and, you know they, they can do any sort of surgery possible, and right. I love that because it's very much in the Marvel universe or in Stanley's worlds, which are basically the same thing at this point. You can do anything. Yeah. A surgeon can do any type of surgery. A right. reporter can get any news story, whether real or fictional, <laughs> on the front page of a newspaper, and it will lure Doctor Doom in. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that is at once just terrible. I mean, the moment you think about that, you realize oh, this is this is ludicrous. This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But it's so much fun. Because yes. when you don't think about it or you accept the ludicrousness, yes. you're just buying into the story where this is an amazing thing, where, where basically all bets are off. And I love that about these comics. They're so much fun. This is coming out at a very strange moment in Thor's history. Um, this is coming out like five months after Jack Kirby has left. After Kirby's next to last issue, John Buscema draws one issue. Kirby comes back for one more issue. There's two drawn by Neil Adams. Mm -hmm. And then there's this. This is the first sort of regular Thor after the changeover? This well, not counting Neil Adams. I mean, but yes, yeah, yeah, but the Neil Adams ones were kind of villains. They're kind of what are we going to do without Kirby? And then yeah. it sort of settles into that's amazing. It feels very, maybe not Kirby, but it feels very classic Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very Buscemi. Like I, I looked on Heritage Auctions to see if they had any pages of original art from this, and mm -hmm. lo and behold, they do. And Buscema has marginal notes all over it explaining the plot. Like this is very probably a John Buscema plot. Well, the, the first issue says by Stanley and John Buscema. It doesn't yeah. delineate the rules at all, which, yeah, which was my first inkling of, oh, Stan literally said, Thor should meet Doctor Doom. I'll leave the rest up to you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And and, and it, it feels like that. But I mean, it it's not just Buscema, right? He's inked by Joe Sinnott. So you yeah. have this very you know, late 60s, early 70s Marvel line, especially with Buscema, because Buscema's another of these classic Marvel artists. So the comic looks like your platonic ideal of a Marvel comic. Yeah. You know, when Doctor Doom shows up, he looks like Doctor Doom for the first 25 years of his his existence. Right. You know, it, it, it reads visually entirely appropriately. Yeah, it completely does. Uh, the other odd thing about this is that this issue came out significantly before some of the issues that we've been talking about in recent episodes. Mm -hmm. That is because we're doing all the Doctor Doom stories in the order they happen to Doom, which is, you know, it's not even the same as, uh, you know, continuity order because Doom has a time machine. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, in like straight up Marvel continuity order, this issue comes out in like late 1970 and takes place after a bunch of issues that came out in 72. Mm. And the reason for that is that after this issue, Thor goes immediately into a story that is continuous action for two years worth of issues. That is impressive. There is and no bold. break point. Yeah, yeah, there's no break point. I don't think anybody realized necessarily. Uh, <laughs> like Stanley leaves in the middle of it and Jerry Conway takes over kind of in the middle, but there is no time where Thor has an opportunity to go be doing anything else. Exactly. He can't go and hang out with the Avengers or whatever. Right, no. you, you get an inkling of this at the end of, of 183, where he, he essentially says, like, I don't know when Donald Blake is going to be back. Yeah. And then he flies into space. Yes. And there is the idea of, like, this is 
I, I was going to say there's an idea that this is the end of an era, but it's not because the ending, as is the tradition of this period, is so rushed. Yeah. You know, Thor basically goes, I'm back from Liberia. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell the daughter what happened. And then I'm off in like a page and a half. Yeah, completely. You know, it, it's, it's very much like, and then he moves on, which almost, you know, it almost makes sense. That there's no break in the action for the next two years because there wasn't really a break in the action for these anyway. The, the issues, I mean, even the first page of, of 182 basically has Thor, you know, monologuing to himself about what happened in previous issues. Yeah. There is the idea that this is just a non-stop roller coaster. He's, yeah. you know, as if he's literally just talked to Loki. He's yeah. literally just dealt with that. And now he's off in his next exciting adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we, we get, uh, we get a protest, like right on the second page, a protest followed by, you know, like Thor coming out of an alley with like a stray cat eating a fish out of a garbage can, which like, is that's an amazing detail. I love that. <laughs> I love the idea that uh, Basema had just seen breakfast at Tiffany's and yeah. was like, there's a cat in an alleyway. Okay, that's what alleyways are like. I'm going to work on it. Yeah. You call it a protest, but I mean, the protest is one girl holding up one sign outside the Liberia <laughs> Embassy. It's the most half-hearted protest ever that nonetheless turns into a riot. Yeah. Who knew that Marvel New York was so upset about one person saying something mean about Liberia? End tyranny in Latveria, yes. Yes, and that nonetheless turns into a riot when people right. start a fist fight over whether or not she has the right to say it. It's amazing. And Donald Blake also like turns into Thor right in the middle of a crowd. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and no one seems to notice, or for that matter, care. They, yeah. They're upset when he starts up a, a hurricane afterwards, but that's it. Otherwise, they're just like, oh, there's thunder. Yeah, uh, so they freak out, they run away. Uh, and then the protester, like, oh no, uh, protester down, takes her to Donald Blake's office, turns back into Dr. Blake, gives her a cup of water. Because the water will wake her up, even though the thunderclap when he turns <laughs> yes. back into Dr. Blake, right next to her, doesn't. Also, uh, Pasama draws a great uh, scene where Thor is turning back into Donald Blake, where it looks as if for that one panel that the building is on fire. Yeah. It, it's it's really impressive. Yeah, she she wakes up and she explains that she is a. I mean, political prisoner isn't really the right word. How how would you describe uh, the, the 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 young protester as as she explains her well, situation? Well, she's the daughter of a political prisoner, right? Or so she believes. Yes, uh, yes. Or, so or foreshadowing. So she yes. yes, Professor Cosette. What a name, Cosette. Cosette uh, Lafarge. Cosette Lafarge. And her unnamed father for the first issue, who gains gains the name in the recap in the next issue. Yeah. He's just Professor Lafarge. I don't know if you saw uh, that uh, Fantastic Four life story thing that came out a couple Mm -hmm. months ago. Yeah. yeah. So the first first issue of that, um, so it sets up, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The scientist from This Man, This Monster. Yes who is identified by name. He was not identified by name in This Man, This Monster. He was not identified by name. uh, He was not identified by name. He's a backstory all of a sudden. In the original, he just shows up. He just shows up, yeah. Um, So he got his name in an issue of Web of Spider-Man 25 years later. No, really? Yeah. I thought they just made up for the life story. I didn't realize. Wait, hang on. Does that mean he comes back after This Man, This Monster? His brother. Oh, even better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
his brother shows up and says like yeah you know my brother was always jealous of reed richards and then he was working on this thing and then he disappeared i don't know what happened to him that's amazing yeah that there really has to have been 20 years between those two issues that that's an amazing callback yeah um and and i think it was during the spider-man comic yeah of all places yeah web of spider-man yeah that's so unusual i mean there has to be said anyone who is paying attention to sort of that level of minutia there's something beautiful about it there really yeah. is that you were the idea that you will i mean because at that point in the was it late 80s it came out um yeah i think so yeah how many people would have had the chance to read this man this monster because it's not like there was a really a reprint program at that point anymore they used to do the reprints of the single issues in the 70s right. and then collections started in the very late 80s early 90s but you know those, that material like kind of disappeared i think this man this monster might have been reprinted in like one of the fireside books or oh, okay you know, maybe the, 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 like, the perennials that weren't really marvel yeah or poss- possibly even like the best of marvel comics or like mm-hmm. one of those like you know books that we sold at sears or something I, I love that sort of thing. Steve Englehart did a lot of that as well, yeah. where it was clearly stories he had read that meant a lot to him, yeah. that he was like, I will solve this one pl- plot hole from a story 20 years ago that no one will remember. <laughs> and there is a joy, especially you know, now that you've got Marvel Unlimited or, or you know DC Universe Infinite yeah. for, for that company, there is a joy now of reading that stuff and going, oh, I, I wonder what that reference is, and being able to skip back. But yeah. like when this stuff was coming out, you know, if you didn't know who who the scientist in this man's monster is, good luck. Good luck okay. to knowing what's going on. I'll tell you, actually, the strangest one I've seen lately. Um, total aggression, but this show is all about total aggression. So that's that's the point. Um, so in What If last week, there's a character called Obeng. Yes. Um, Obeng has some kind of relationship to uh, Cagliostro. Yes. Um, and, you know, I start looking him up I'm like oh in the comics like he's enough he, his name is another name for cagliostro oh so he is cagliostro well i thought and then i started digging a little further there doesn't appear to ever have been a character named obang who appears on panel he's only identified and only identified that name by that name apparently in the 2008 hardcover reprint of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe no. from 2006. Wait, he's like, only referred to that name in a reprint of the, in not the hard, even of the original. Right, the hardcover edition of the 2006 version of the official handbook. Which is what, the fourth or fifth edition of the official handbook at that point? Where did this name come from? I'm not sure. That's amazing. Yeah, that, I really hope it was some joke that someone worked in and just thought no one would notice. And now there it is in like the MCU and people are going to be like, well, you never know. I mean, did you see, maybe you didn't, the, the what, that What If episode now has people convinced that that's a setup for the Spider-Man movie that's coming out this fall. I would not be surprised. But that's, I mean, it's amazing. It is, again, utterly yeah. labyrinth in the way yeah. oh, yeah. all this yeah. stuff connects. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, completely. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, but, but like here, Professor Lafarge, for all intents and purposes, has no first name. Yeah. For no. this far, he's, first he's part just, of the story. Because he's, he's a plot just, device. Right. He's the he's he, the kindly professor and, and father who yeah. He is a plot device, however, who brings in my one of my favorite things about Doctor Doom in this issue. And has to be said, Thor 182 is a classic Doctor Doom story. There's so much there that is 
utterly beautiful. But I love that he is French and he's brought in <laughs> Doctor Doom calls him mon ami and then gaslights him <laughs> in the same panel. Doctor Doom is lounging in a chair made of bricks. There is no cushion visible. visible. <laughs> you can just see the brick. And he says mon ami and then he gaslights him by saying you have come to visit me of your own free will. Yes. That's amazing yeah that is so great the doctor room is just quietly just sitting back being like no 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 you picked up that gun yourself <laughs> it's so great i love doctor doom when doctor doom tries to be classy and especially when it's writers <laughs> who can't do classy trying to make doctor room try to be classy like the, the i think it's fantastic four where he's like no i am cultured here is my piano and my paintings yes i love that stuff I love the stuff where Dr. Doom tries not to be threatening in a way that's threatening, and the result is this weird thing. He plays the piano while wearing iron gloves. Well, that's because, as you find out later in this issue, his gloves are really sensitive. Okay, yes. <laughs> he can take off iron clasps with iron gloves. I, again, Dr. Doom's armor makes no sense. Yeah. He can eat with armor that has actually like a mouth guard on it. He can uh, somehow still eat with that. We saw in uh, Sword number seven a few weeks ago that he can detach the mouthpiece. Which I love. Yes. I mean, I just, there's so much about Dr. Doom's armor that does not make sense. Yeah. yeah, And you just buy it because he looks great. Because he's Doom. He is. Yeah, exactly. Who else could do this but Doom? Yes. It's so great. And then then he brings in Cassette. That's the other great thing about this flashback. Cassette is telling the story to Donald Blake, and she's clearly at least a teenager. Right? She, you know, she is maybe late teens, early 20s, the way that Bassem is drawing her. Then in this flashback, she is clearly much younger, significantly Great. younger. And <laughs> yes, according sure. to according to Stan Lee's description, months went by between that point and when she is in Donald Blake's office. Months. So in those months, she grew like six years. Puberty hits hard sometimes. Look, in Latveria, apparently things, things go weird with puberty yeah. guns. Anyway, yeah, Dr. Doom uh, blackmails Professor Lafarge into agreeing to build missiles for him. Is blackmails the appropriate term? He, ex- he, he, he does it through extortion. Causes him to. Yes. Makes him to. Yes. Makes he him he convinces him. to by basically says, I, I, will, I will keep your daughter safe if you do this. Yeah, strong arms him. Yes. Well, okay. with that armor, how could you do anything else? Exactly. Okay. Um, so in the middle of this, suddenly like Odin shows up and like, it's, it's a, it's John B. Sema doing the Kirby thing where you just see an extreme close-up of Odin's face over and over. Yes. I, I love that Odin talks to him just by having giant eyes appear. Yeah. But I love, I love the eyes. Like, you know, Buscema is a great artist. Yeah. It, it, he genuinely is. And he's an artist with uh fluidity to his line that I think Kirby didn't have. I love Kirby's art you know, maybe the most of, of any comic book artist, but there's a blockiness to Kirby, right? And and Basama's characters really do flow in, in a really, really lovely way. Yeah, no, I, I, I love his Odin very much. And I love that, like Doom for that matter, Odin just slumps in chairs. Yeah. All of these characters can't sit down. They've all got really bad posture. They slump. <laughs> they slump really badly. Yeah. Um, so this whole interlude with... Uh... Odin and Thor and Sif back in Asgard doesn't really have anything to do with the main plot, but it's... But it's clearly setting something up, the world beyond. Yes, the world 
beyond <laughs> the world. The world so, beyond. Beyond what? Just beyond. So we, we go back from that to Doom once again chewing scenery, smashing another mirror. Yes. The guy goes through so many mirrors. We've talked about like how glaciers in Latveria have to be just making a mint, just repairing mirrors, making new mirrors all day. I love that Doctor Doom hates his reflection and yet always has a mirror seemingly in every room he's in. Yeah. Every single room, he just needs something to smash to tell us how ugly he is. Again, yeah. doesn't even matter. He's wearing a mask. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you, what is your thinking on the the scarred face thing? So, my thinking on the scarred face concurs with Jack Kirby's thinking, and that's not what you think it is. Okay, so, uh, continue. Kirby in the 70s always talked about how it was just a little scar and his vanity in the mask, blah, blah, blah. If you go back and look at the first few Doctor Doom stories that Kirby mm -hmm. drew... Mm -hmm. and presumably plotted. Yeah. In FF number 10, he takes off his mask in front of Lee and Kirby, and they recoil in horror. Yes, yeah. Like, oh, no, he's, he, he's, he's clearly just, like, horribly deformed. Yes. He has to be for, for what happens in this issue, where he takes yep. off, the, like, the mask in front of Donald Blake, and Donald Blake loses his mind. Unless Donald Blake is gaslighting him. I'm sorry, the gaslighting is going one way. Oh, that's not true, because... Donald Blake is totally gaslighting about the plastic surgery. Yeah. Everyone's a liar. Everyone's yeah. a liar in this comic. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kirby also drew the story where like Doom is clearly putting on a red hot mask. So I was going to say that's that's the part that I've always I've I've always been of the opinion that he had maybe a scar and then he put on the red hot mask and that's when he totally did yeah that's the, the John Burns face that's the John Burns squaring the circle. Oh no, I'm me and John Burns are agreeing on something. That's a problem. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> like that. That is that is Burns' explanation of how all this works. Yeah, uh, not only does does uh, Doctor Doom destroy a mirror, he also destroys a newspaper. Yes. and I love that he gets so mad he crumples up the newspaper as well. Oh, uh, he he's uh, we've seen him crumpling newspapers before, but um, but I I love I love yeah. this. I love that he's just like no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he of course goes to kidnap. Uh, Donald Blake in a, a limousine from the Latvian Embassy, it, which A seems very large inside when you see the interior shot, but also Dr. Doom is reading an incredibly large book in the, the limousine. It's a book of reports his agents have obtained about Dr. Blake. That's he bound into a book, though. It's not just, you know, it's not just printouts. It's a, it looks like a hardback book. I mean, somebody gave him a copy of the Prose and Poetic Edits, right? <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> if he's like why have they given me this north mythology I was looking for Donald Blake and in, in the very back of the book they're like and Thor is Donald Blake and he's like but I didn't get that far I just we, it's 700 pages long I'd gotten to half of it before I had to shoot Donald Blake on the street that's the other thing he shoots Donald Blake on the street with his molecular displacer yeah uh, and Donald Blake vanishes yeah and everyone, like, people see it. This is that man, he vanished right before my eyes, says one. I saw it, but I don't believe it, says another. And nothing comes from that. I mean, as he explains on the next page, he's got total diplomatic immunity. 
they don't even know it's Doctor Doom that did it. All these people know is that man disappeared on the street. It's Marvel New York. This stuff happens all the time. It's yeah, exactly. The only thing they get upset about is one girl protesting yes, outside an embassy. Exactly. That's it. Everything else goes. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, yeah, so so he takes he takes Donald Blake's prone body to Lavira in another incredible invention. A plane that flies like a missile that flies from New York to wherever Liberia is. I always thought it was Eastern Europe in a matter of minutes. Oh, you missed the part where the plane is hidden inside a tree. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then and then launches for no, sorry, the 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 function to open the rock that the plane is in is inside yes. a tree, okay. and then the plane is in a. A pile of rock, I guess, okay. which then separates, and it's a helicopter plane that he retracts the rotor blades and reverts to full jet power and transforms the ship into a globe-girdling flying missile, a missile which can span the ocean in a matter of fleeting minutes. Yeah. Admittedly, there are amazing scientific discoveries in Marvel Comics. Oh, you know, yeah. like, like you know, all the way back to FF number one, right? There's things that, that don't exist in the real world. Right. Doctor Doom <laughs> could make a fortune with Latverian Airlines using this technology. Yeah. Because everyone, it doesn't matter that he's a despot. It doesn't matter that he keeps his entire country in fear. If he said, I can have transatlantic flights that will take minutes, yes. everyone would fly in that. Everyone. He could make even more of a fortune than he already has. Dude's a genius. I mean, he is. He's a, but also, he's not that much of a genius. He could be rich or richer, rich in, in rich in ways even he doesn't understand. <laughs> even even Doom couldn't comprehend how much money he could have. <laughs> Those goblets cost a lot. <laughs> the mirrors. Just think of how much you could save the on mirrors. mirrors the goblets, the candelabras, the antique battle axes, the shields. The okay, uh, but we're talking about how much Doctor Doom spends. Here's another question for you: Does he have multiple armors in your mind, or does he have one? Because um, I've always been of the opinion he has to have a spare. Surely, do Doombots count? No, because they're robots. Or do you think he can just strip the robot out of the armor? Because they all have armor, right? Yeah, but like I was, I was always just an assumption they were like fully robot armor. Like there was, if you took the robot out, the like the armor would come with it. I just I like mean, the idea that there's multiple Iron Man arm, uh, not Iron Man, Doctor Doom armors, and he gets up in the morning and he's like, I'm putting on Tuesday's pair. Yeah. Like there's seven different armors and he swaps between them. Well, it's like but Clark Kent having like uh, fifteen identical suits, right? But. It, he was a smart man. That was yeah. the Albert Einstein process, principle, right? Yeah. The Einstein had the, the same clothes, so he never had to think about it. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah, Dr. Doom, more sign that he's a genius. Yeah. He's a genius who's trying to drink from a goblet using, uh, using an iron mask. But, <laughs> you know, he, he's a genius. Also, so he takes, he, he wakes Donald Blake up, and he's like, right. you're in Latvia now. I've kidnapped you. Don't focus on that. Uh, I'm going to walk you around my castle I have to tell you, like, you better not be screwing with me. You better be able to to fix me up. And then, in order to show him how horrible his his face is, he dims the lights <laughs> and <laughs> puts <laughs> on candles. <laughs> it's it's very atmospheric. I'll give him that. You know, good job. Uh, I it, you could make an argument that he's trying to dim the light because it's so horrific. 
that he doesn't want Donald Blake to see everything. Again, even if Donald Blake is, you know, M dash a surgeon, you'd like to think that he would be able to see what he's doing, but maybe not. But it seems incredibly like what doctor, what are you thinking? Keep the lights on, let him see the full horror. I say that, but like Donald Blake, again, the world's most professional doctor recoils in terror yes. upon seeing the face and says, oh no, no, in the name of heaven, I never dreamt it would be like that. Yes. Imagine you're Donald Blake's patient, right? You're not talking okay. to him. You're just Donald Blake's patient, okay? And you have, I don't know, you have a cyst somewhere <laughs> in your body that you want to be removed, right? And you're feeling really self-conscious about it. And everyone's like, Donald Blake, though, he's the best surgeon in New York. You have to go. And you go there and you pull off your top and you're like, look at the cyst. And he had that reaction. Yeah. He would be struck off. There would be lawsuits. Like, what? Donald Blake is a terrible doctor. He's a gaslighting terrible doctor who. Donald Blake is a monster. That's my takeaway <laughs> from these two issues. Donald Blake is terrible. Donald Blake is, is a liar and is a bad doctor. And I don't believe he can do plastic surgery. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, my I, hands are up. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe he can do plastic surgery either. But I mean, his whole point here is to get thrown into jail or somehow thrown into jail with his cane, which he does. Well, exactly. Which which works. Who yeah. knew that just saying, my, what is it? My cane, I must have my cane. Yes. But the robots love him enough that they throw his cane in there. Yeah. Wait, hang on. So you think that was his plan? You think it's not genuine terror? You think he had a plan to upset Dr. Doom so much that he could throw him in jail? Oh, yeah, because he has to be able to like be oh, at see, liberty I, in Latveria to go rescue Cosette's father. I understand that part, but I thought the horror was genuine. I thought I read it as Donna Blake genuinely was horrified upon seeing the face. And, it's and, and just just had a, you know, I ha- I have a plan. And then his plan goes out his window because he sees the face and he's just like, oh, no, no, it's horrible. That, that's such thing. And then he then he was improvising. Then he was like, I'm being dragged away. OK, I need a cane. I've got a plan. So this actually also connects to my most heretical theory about Dr. Doom. Please. Uh, which is that what he's recoiling at is the realization that there is no Dr. Doom. There are all Doom bots. It's all Reed Richards. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. So, so in your mind, or in, it, you're not even saying this is canon. You're saying this is a possible theory. This, this Doctor, is, yeah. Doctor Doom in this in this comic right. takes off his mask and it's just a robot. Yeah, and, and Blake is just like, I can't go. You're a robot. Yeah, I have to there's, have some other response. And so he's just like, it's so horrible. Me- there's nothing medical science can do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah. Other science, robotic science, that that's sure. That that's yeah. great. Wow. Yeah. That's does Reed Richards hate himself that much? So there are various ways this theory can go. And there's also like various things that interfere with this theory. I mean it can't be the case. But just yeah, yeah. going with it for a moment. Um, let's say that there was a lab explosion in college. There was a Victor Von Doom. There was a lab explosion in college. And uh, Are you going to say Doom. he died? Are you going to say he died in the explosion? Yeah, Doom's killed. And Reed blamed himself and... And created a series of self-hating robots that, that would would pretend to... Uh, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. My mind is blown. <laughs> That's an amazing <laughs> theory. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, 
it's not it's i can think of at least one thing that that blows out of the water but but that's an amazing theory that reminds me of uh fantastic four one two three four the morrison grant morrison jaylee series from you know like what 2002 or three um which basically says that Doctor Doom doesn't exist. Doctor Doom is is all the negative thoughts of of Reed Richards, yeah. given shape. So you, you just do that, but add a robot element. Yeah, that's. I kind of love that theory. I wish that theory was true. Yeah, it's not true, but it's. it's I know, but uh, it's nice to think so. I yeah, I, I do. I love that. There's there's a certain sort of beauty to that theory. Arguably more so than having someone who is that upset about their college roommate that they, you know, they ascend to becoming the ruler of a country and still want revenge on them. <laughs> right. That's, that's, yeah, it's incredible. Anyway, Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom, as you said, like, does have the correct response to, to Donald Blake telling him there's nothing medical science can do and throws him in jail right. with his cane. Because right. Dr. Doom, apparently, not a monster. Unlike, again, Donald Blake, a man who lied. Think about it. Think about everyone who read the Daily Bugle that day who also had genuine plastic surgery needs. Yes. Who would have gotten all excited and would have gone to Donald Blake's office and been told, first of all, he's in Latveria. <laughs> and secondly, that was a lie. And third, like, he's not actually a plastic surgeon. <laughs> this, this was just... Maybe, but maybe he is. Like, yeah. again, like, in, maybe in Marvel science, you can. Maybe you just pass, like, surgery school and you can do everything. Right, there's no specialty. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what sort of surgeon is Donald Blake. Is it ever told? He's a who knows. He's no, but for real, like you, you no, have, no, um, no, there's like not. you have St- Stephen Strange, who I think was a heart surgeon. I think they actually like classified that at some point. I mean, Donald Blake also kind of didn't really exist, but he, I mean, he worked. Right, he, he for worked, years. Yes. So, yeah. he, like, he must have had some specialty. Are you wait? Are you quoting the Donald Blake didn't exist, so we don't have to worry about what he studied in school theory? Wait, hand waving. But did Donald Blake exist, or did, like was there a like a teenage Donald Blake who went through school and then turned out it was always Thor, or did Donald Blake just appear as an adult? I don't remember. I believe uh, it was at one point canon that Odin created him on the first day of medical school. That's amazing. Yeah. So Thor had to go through medical school. Yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Sorry, you're doing rotations, Thor. This will teach you to be worthy. Um, and so I, I believe that like the current Donny Cates Thor series has been doing something with Donald Blake one way or oh, another. Oh yeah, but, but yeah. it's but it's it's terrible. I'm not. It's, I'm not. It's not, on that, so. it's not kind to Donald Blake. Put okay. it that way. Okay. Um, it's very much what if Donald Blake went mad because he doesn't really exist except he does. So right. okay, you know, I'm I I would rather have even this version of Donald Blake, even the lying, you know, fake who gaslights Doctor Doom version, than one who grows long hair and a beard and tries to kill everyone who's ever held a hammer. Yeah, you know, that's all I'm saying. Um, he goes he goes into jail. He's got his cane. And then, even though he is lame, he is weak and lame of foot, yes. as they describe. He nonetheless, with his legs, manages to, A, I'm not quite sure what he does with his shoe here. Does he turn his shoe into, like, he does something with the shoe and the shoelaces I'm, that allows him to grab the cane. I, I, and know. I'm not quite sure what it is. But then, he uses his legs, again, he is lame, he uses his legs to lie 
kind of on his back, pick up the cane and strike the cane against the ground to become Thor. Well done, good job. Right. Uh, at which point uh, Doom sets off a missile, uh, which you know Thor flies up and then realizes like, oh no, um, I can't run away from the missile because if uh, the missile misses me, then it's going to fall on Doomstot, so I have to let it hit me. Which is, I mean, amazing logic. He yes. could fly away from missile slowly and lead it away from Doomstad, but that that was not an option. Or he can do what he does at the beginning of the following issue, which is do the thing with his hammer where he makes some sort of vortex and sends the missile up because what goes up does not have to come down. Just that he doesn't even create a vortex. He just creates a, a, some, like, it just sucks it up. Yeah. He says... It doesn't like he's not created a portal as it zaps it anywhere. It just sucks it up. Yeah. And then he he falls down. He doesn't have his hammer, so he turns back into uh Donald Blake. The missile explodes harmlessly above. Very Why? Good. Was it a, was it a timed missile? I Why would the guess. missile it doesn't strike anything up, up there? Or does it? Does it strike like strike like a plane? Uh maybe it hits the barrier that Galactus put around Earth so the Silver Surfer couldn't get past it. I mean, that's what stopped Doom when he tried to uh steal the surface power, love right? That. I was thinking it hit like a duck or something. <laughs> Some poor duck that, Yeah, that's it. And then it goes up. Yeah, it but the village is saved and Thor as well, he says. Yes. So so that 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 was good to see. But then the hammer doesn't return to him, which I thought was the whole gimmick of the hammer. Yeah. No, it just falls. It just yeah, it just falls down, and is he's surrounded by it is surrounded, as you say, by people from Oktoberfest, yeah. based on on that wonderful panel. <laughs> the, a gentleman with a, a truly Jack Kirby esque pipe, if nothing else, <laughs> really a pipe that is uh, also his hands are inhumanly big as well, which is is wonderful. The the man with the white hair at the bottom of that page. This is it's, a very, very Kirby-looking person. I would not be surprised if he were light-boxed from some kind of Kirby villager somewhere. It's the hands, isn't it? His, his hands are, are just enormously big, which I, I love. Yeah. Um, but I do love that all these people are like, what is this hammer doing here? And Dr. Doom just magically shows up and says, yes. all of you get away. It's maybe powerful. It's mine. Yeah. Um, I've lost track of, of where this is in Doom's personal chronology, which is where you come in, Douglas. Yeah. Do the people in, in Lavere fear him or love him at this point? Yes, they do. Oh, really? They fear him the, and the, love him. This is one of these, like, both. They, they think he's the yeah. most powerful ruler and they never want to be around him. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that's that's generally the reaction of Latverians. Like, they are terrified of him and they're also pretty they're much very okay into. with how how latveria goes they just don't want to be around him personally necessarily is latveria is latveria a terrible place or does stanley have an incredibly low opinion of people when it comes to like despotic leaders <sighs> right because latveria, like you there's we see stories of you know there's a popular uprising in latveria the doctor did will crush Right. right, but for the most part, like you said, they love him and hate him. They're very much of the he's a monster. However, he keeps us safe. Therefore, great. Yeah, school of thought, and I that feels weirdly cynical in a way that I was going to say in a way that Marvel comics, early Marvel comics, don't. But then I was like, oh no, but it's true. Only Americans are great in early Marvel comics. Yeah, it's it's really uncomfortable, and that incredible discomfort is actually one of my favorite things about doom and the whole lot variant setup 
the fact that like he is a despot and it actually might not be the worst thing for Latveria. Yeah, it seems to work out for them. For that, for all that he is a monster and he goes to other countries and, and is it, you know, and you know, will attack Galactus or the Fantastic Four or yeah. you know, any Marvel character. In Latveria, he, they all do seem relatively safe and you know yes they have a despotic leader but they all seem relatively happy too you will you will get the occasional you know cassette who will leave and say you know i was raised in the lap of luxury but i didn't want to be there type situation but again like she had a nanny what's she gonna complain about there's countless people i know um but but doom doesn't doesn't seem to be the worst leader in the world that's a worrying thing right i mean he wants to rule the world. He might not be the worst thing. Yeah, there, like, there, are, right. worse, there are worse leaders we've seen, even in Marvel Comics, yeah. of people ruling things. Doom yeah. is, is not, he is, he gets the job done. Are we coming up with like an argument for why Dr. Doom is, is, should be allowed to rule the world? Uh, I mean, you know, in the 80s, and we'll, we'll eventually get to the Emperor Doom graphic novel, but like, one of the very first things he does when he does become emperor of the world is uh, abolish apartheid in South Africa. See, like, oh man, I, I feel weirdly conflicted about this. I feel very, I think we, I think Doctor Room is not the worst option available, but that makes me feel dirty. Yeah, cause he, cause he is. I right? mean, he's he's awful. He's, he's a monster. But he absolutely he, is. He's a cultured monster. He, he sure is. He only gaslights French nationals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this is around the time when Alain René is uh, is starting to work on his movie with Stan Lee, right? <laughs> so what, you're saying that when René first met Stan Lee, he was brought in and Stan Lee was just sitting on a chair made out of bricks? Yeah, very went, possibly, yes. <laughs> <"Mama> bonhomie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You came here under your own free will. Yeah. But Renee was like, I don't know who you are. Nonetheless, so we, we do see in the scene that Doom is not, in fact, worthy, right? Because we get like a solid page of him trying to pick up Thor's hammer, and it's not moving anywhere. What shabby insolence is this? He yeah. says when he comes <laughs> it, which is amazing. Well, shabby insolence. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's yanking at it. He seals it within a field of electrostatic force. Yeah. If I can't have it, no one shall. That's, so, Doctor Doom is so wonderfully like childish. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and then he introduces the Silent Stalker, which is again another incredible invention from <laughs> yeah. Doctor Doom. Uh, it's a like I, I, I was going to say a, a spider-like robot, but it's not. It's on wheels. It's it yeah. is like six guns and is on wheels, but he just shows a photograph of Dr. Donald Blake to it and says, go find, and it does. It's amazing. Yeah. The stalker shall do the rest. Yes. Uh, and Odin, meanwhile, we finally cut away to Odin again, um, decides like, yeah, I could help. I could help my kid, but no. But no, I'm not going to. <laughs> and, and his reasoning is amazing. That he's basically stuck in Donald Blake's body, but he still has the spirit of Thor. And Thor be son of Odin. So it's a humble brag. Yeah. Like no uh, son of mine is going to be let the fact that he is he is, you know, trapped in a mortal's body. 
Or he is he stands as I've said, he doth stand alone, weak and lame of leg. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Amazing. I will I will give it to Odin, he is not helicopter parenting. No, no, that's true. He's yes. he's just letting him. He's letting him just yeah. go. Like just he's gonna make his it. mistakes. Yeah, we, we get another amazing like Kirby style close up of just Odin's eyes and nose and mustache, and uh, <laughs> as, as as Odin explains the purpose of crying. Yes, let fall thy tears, fair maiden. They have the power to heal a damsel's pain, to soothe a damsel's sorrow. Immediately oh after God. which we get an incredible caption. But before you start thinking these words were penned by Billy Graham, let's segue back <laughs> to the tumultuous land below. <laughs> Did you think they were penned by Billy Graham? Certainly not the artist Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Stanley's hyperbole is, I mean, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah. No, it's, he... it's kind of, I mean, it's, imagine having just the, the guts to do that. Stanley is so good with words, not yes. necessarily plots, not necessarily character, but words like nobody beats him. But in a weird way, it feels very idiot savant sometimes, where you feel that Stanley doesn't literally know what he's saying and somehow it works. You know, like half of the, honestly, half of the dialogue in these two issues is a mess. It's just utterly preposterous. And, and again, I'm not quite sure Stanley knows what any of these people do for a living or how any of these jobs work. <laughs> but there is a poetry to it. There is something where you're, you, you buy into it and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. I, I, and it does feel like poetry or, or, or music in that you, you do, you surrender to it. You end up going, yeah, this sounds right. I know it's not, but it sounds right. Yeah. Uh, the, so Donald Blake sneaks back into the castle where, or the dungeon or whatever the heck it is where <laughs> Professor Large, Professor Large, yes, Professor Lafarge is. <laughs> Oh, we know that's where Lafarge came from. Yes, right. <laughs> well, he, he finds, yeah, he finds Professor Lafarge, and Professor Lafarge does not have the reaction that I think Doctor Donald Blake nor we, the reader, expected. Right. And he seems horrified. Yes, horrified that someone has come to take him away. Well, that an American has come to take him away. No, but but in it, like in general. Well, I mean, I'm I'm jumping ahead to his his ultimate reveal, but he, yes. you know, you can't fool me. Not even doom can fool me. I'm too smart for you. Too smart for all of you. Yes. And, and Blake just goes, you're right, professor. It was just a test yes. and you passed with flying colors. So I'll be leaving now. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he just, he sort of leaves. He does. He just wanders away. I do love, uh, you're right, professor. It was just a test and you passed with flying colors. I'll be leaving now. There's something William Shatner about that. Yeah. Yes. You know, the, 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 it feels it feels very, and it helped considerably by Busema drawing the disheveled Donald Blake with the, the wide collar and the loosened tie and that particular pose. I really could see like an, a young Shatner. Oh yeah, playing yeah, yeah. Donald Blake at that point. Absolutely. So um, he he discovers where the hammer is still lying with the force field, the electrostatic force field that Doom put around it. Um, so he could lift it but he can't reach it so to get at it he starts shoveling out the dirt next to it noisily enough to attract the guards and who then 
seeing that he is not there, but seeing his jacket, then decide to shoot the hammer where they know he isn't there. No, like, as, as terms of a plan, that's an amazing plan on, on Blake's part. But also, the fact that it works is even more impressive. Yes. Because uh, so it was his plan. He says, it worked. Their blasters have enlarged the hole, doing my work for me. No, that they, means they, his plan... Sorry. They don't shoot the hammer. They shoot his jacket. They atomize the area, they say. Yes. Yes. But you, if you see, they're, they're shooting next to the jacket. They're enlarging That's true. the hole. That's true. They have shot a hole right on, beside the hammer. That's so true. Donald Blake digs under, digs his way under the force dome that's encasing the hammer so that uh, he can then like somehow reach up because there's not a force field around it anymore. Okay, so this is what I this is what <laughs> I've taken to understand from this. The force field is a dome right. that sits on top of the cobblestones. Right. Donald Blake climbs in through the, as he points out, still smoldering hot yes. to underneath where the hammer is, which is cool enough for him to dig through and then with his hands. Apparently, yeah, with his hands, dig through and then apparently pull the cobblestones down. Right. Because you see his hand reaching through a space where cobblestone should be, but there's no cobblestone visible. So he's pulled it down through the hole, then reaches up and touches the hammer, somehow strikes the hammer against the ground, even though the force field is still there, so there shouldn't be space to do it. Does he have to strike and against Od the ground or just Odin touch it? Odin is like, it's fine. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think there's an Odin yeah. like cheat. Because yeah. he says Mjolnir has been hath been regained. And so that is enough to yeah. turn it back and Thor. What? Again, this was his plan. He yeah. says it worked at one point. He somehow thought... If I start digging, then leave my jacket nets to it. The robots will shoot a hole in the ground that I can then climb through, climb underneath, touch it. Odin will then see that. And, like, that's an incredible plan for him to have. And, and again, it worked. Ultimately, the plan is, if I make enough of a big deal of this, Dad will give a push. <laughs> what were you saying about helicopter parenting? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he comes through. Odin comes through. And again, you know, we're talking about how the art looks. The panel after Thor gets his power back, the panel of, of the face yeah. is incredibly Kirby. Yeah, it's incredibly Kirby. Yeah. Like that. That's that's not a Basema face at all. It's a Kirby face. Look at the mouse. And we when we get to Doom on the next page, like not only is he in the Kirbyest of Kirby poses, and Joe Sinnott is adding to this effect, of course, but he is about to pull a lever on the Kirby techest of Kirby tech machines this side of a mother box. Is amazing, isn't it? And I, I love that he that I mean, was Doom just waiting there for someone to come through the wall? Do you think Apparently. he's just holding us lever for a long time? I mean, like he's coming. Yeah. He's coming. It's gonna yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, but he does say that um, were you witless enough to think you could catch Doctor Doom unprepared? The only thing wrong with that line is he says doctor. Were you witless yes. enough to think you catch your doom unprepared? Yes, that's, yes, that's much it's yeah. it's got more of a flow. Yeah. Stanley hadn't quite either he was sleeping on the job. Always possible. Stanley was writing a lot at this point, or he hadn't quite keyed into the third person doomness of yes. it all. Where you know, Doctor Doom feels weird when he says it, but yes. Doom feels Doom. right, right? 
I mean, you know, maybe that's maybe that's an artisomic thing. Maybe that's like, uh, unprepared is a long word. We're going to have to have something. That's exactly. Yeah. 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 Can, yeah. You know, am I going to put catch on the next line? No, I, I've got this. Yeah. Whatever. I do. I do, however, love that. Um, Doom says, "I who have met and vanquished the mightiest foes on earth." And Thor goes, "But Thor is not of earth." <laughs> it's, it's such. It's such a great thing, because again, we're past the point where we're. Doctor Doom's dealt with the Silver Surfer in one, right? Yeah. So theoretically, you know, I I do not wish Thor to lose in his own comic book, but Doctor Doom should be able to take care of Thor easily. You think? Yeah. Why okay. He just put on that like power sapping vest again. Uh true, true. And and just just seal. I mean, can he or is Thor like because he could steal the power cosmic from Silver Surfer? Could he yeah. steal Thor's Thorness? Probably not. Yeah. Is yeah, there such a thing as a god force? There probably is. I'm probably sure there's is, been like yeah. multiple comics about the yeah. god force. <laughs> yeah, I think Malibu yeah. published one. Um, <laughs> wow, God Wheel. <laughs> oh, you're right. I was just, I was just vamping. <laughs> oh, but I just, I just remembered God Wheel. Um, but I mean, he. To be fair, he tries. He t- he tries to take the hammer to, yeah. t- to take the power this time. So he isn't. He is at least consistent. It is a great joke that Thor's just like sure take the hammer right knowing exactly what's going to happen knowing that right. because we've already seen in this issue doom isn't worthy enough that the hammer's yeah. just going to fall to the ground right. uh he should theoretically have no fingers left because the hammer falls on doom's fingers right well he hands it over gently you can see both their hands are on it at the same time, but it, it immediately goes thump. It doesn't mess up his hands as badly as, you know, Ben Grimm did. That's true. Ben, yeah, Ben Ben destroyed his, his, his hands altogether, didn't he? He tore the armor apart. I'm going to assume that he's made his gloves extra, extra strong since then. I love that. I love the idea that Doom afterwards repaired his armor yeah. and then thought, I've got to make these, these fingers really strong, but also very sensitive. Yes. Because I'm going to be playing the piano and I'm going to be undoing the clasps on my mask. Yeah. So multi-purpose. Maybe he's got multiple gloves. I don't know why I'm obsessed with the idea of Doom having interchangeable armor, but it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely in my head right now. Anyway, uh, the the hammer drops the ground. Thor's gambit pays off. Although as he explains in in a thought balloon a couple of panels later, it is a gambit because he only has 60 seconds after letting go of the hammer before he turns to Donna Blake. Right. Uh, so uh, Thor manages to smash the control panel with which Doom is preparing to nuke a thousand cities all over the planet with his bare hands. Um, As you do. And although he doesn't manage to lift the hammer, Doom does manage to trip Thor. <laughs> which, which is wonderful. No one has ever tried to trip Thor before. Yeah. He also, he doesn't just trip Thor. He trips Thor by like sweeping wide with a piece of, of broken machinery. Like I, I feel like he's. I feel like Thor could have seen that. Is what I'm saying. Mm, but no, I mean, possible, yeah. apparently not. They just, you know, he gets Thor on the ground. He gets Thor on the ground. Uh, they fight. Sixty seconds almost uh, are up. There's a cutaway shot of uh, a really, really elaborate clock, which it it looks like it's got ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, and then ten o'clock again. This is an unusual clock. It is a wonderful clock. Uh, in Latveria, there's no such thing as midnight. Yeah. Um, and... there's, t- there's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 10 o'clock 
two. <laughs> <laughs> Ten o'clock, the sequel. Yes. yes. Um, it, 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 I do love that breakaway shot, though, because you have Thor in the previous panel, say the 60 seconds of Almost Gone, and then you cut two o'clock, which says tick, tick, no less than three times in the same panel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can you can almost sense Buscema, you know, almost leaving the notes for, for Stan yeah. Lee, being like, okay, the point is time is ticking down. Right. You know, uh, like, here's your visual cue about this. And uh, he's he's being paralyzed by an electro paralyzer, which is in his glove. Uh, his see, again, his, glove. his yeah. multi-purpose gloves. Uh, and, and also, Thor gets away by reaching down, picking up a cobblestone somehow on yes. the floor, and then hurling it upwards to tip up the entire floor. Yeah. Leverage doesn't work that way. <laughs> Again, file under, nobody in this comic necessarily knows how things work, <laughs> careers or physics. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it looks it looks wonderful. It's also sad that Lee clearly has to add dialogue to this yeah. because the, the, you can't tell visually what's happening. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, it is a problem. That is Lee coming up with the best solution to a bad problem. Yeah, where he, you know, he looked, he, Lee clearly looked at the page and was like, is he hitting him? With that stone, <laughs> right. or wh- why is because you don't even see you see Thor picking up the stone with Doctor Doom behind him, and then the next panel is Doctor Doom falls over and there are rocks. Yeah, you know, like so Lee Lee really is doing the best of a bad job there. Yeah, uh, but you know, he grabs a hammer, he turns back to Thor. Uh, Thor notices, oh, the uh, missiles are still at least ready to launch. So let's destroy all the missiles. Now, this is a big old anti-war thing for a 1970 comic. It's it's very strange. It's I, It stood out to me because it feels like it's making more of a statement than it means to. Yeah. Because Thor destroy, you know, destroys the missiles, says, so long as they exist, the threat is, uh, threat is ever present. Thus, the God of Thunder has decreed they shall stand no more. Too long have weapons enslaved the earth. Too long have force and fear prevail. Now let there be an end. Suddenly we're in Squadron Supreme. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it, what's interesting to me is this is obviously never followed up. Yeah. Right? Like so it's not like Thor then turns around and starts protesting outside the Latvian embassy himself, right? But part of me wonders if this would have been followed up had they not throwing Thor into space for two years afterwards. You know, like, was this something where Lee was like, wait, what if what if this is an area for Thor to go in? And then it's like, I'll come back to it when we're done with the space thing. Yeah. And then, you know, he leaves the book while they're in space. It's, it seems odd because it feels very much like Thor is genuinely saying, you know what is terrible missiles? Yes. <laughs> like, these are, these are bad and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. It's also, however, almost scarier if you read it the other way, which is other countries aren't allowed to have missiles. Yes. But I live in America and they're fine. Their missiles are okay. You know, and I worry that's that's the meaning of the scene. That's actually what Lee was meaning. And that's... You would think that if Thor were going to let anybody have missiles, it would be Norway. <laughs> that's exactly where he goes to Nets. He's like, it's on the way back from Latveria. Latveria <laughs> is just Nets in Norway. And he just stopped off there and was like, do you want some spare missiles? Here you go. <laughs> yes. I'm going to take care of these other missiles, Nets. It, it's it's kind of, the weird thing about this story is because it, it's a pretty solid two-parter, right? That you do keep having the, the cutaways to Odin. 
Like in so Thor, Thor destroys the missiles. And then Odin literally says, Prince of Asgard, is thy task now done? He pretty much is like, you're taking too long. Yeah. Get get done with this. I don't care. Like, let's just get it over with. Uh, And so so Thor does. (laughs) Well, Thor does, except we still have to wrap up the plot. So we go to Dr. Lafarge, who uh, is now completely freaking out. Uh, He doesn't want to be rescued. And uh, he uh, just, you know, dooms... Like, I did not get kidnapped. I came here of my own volition. I'm, I was going to be rich. The money is all that matters. You screwed it up for me. So I'm going to shoot you. Yes. I'm, okay. Obviously, what's happening is this is a last-minute turn of events by the creative team, right? It's the twist. Right. Nonetheless, does this mean Cosette is wrong with what happened before, or is he... As has Professor Lafarge just essentially gone insane in his time in inca- enslavement? That's also possible. Yeah, I guess. I'm. I'm. I'm really curious because part of me is, you know, we we've made jokes about gaslighting, right? Yeah. Part of me is wonders: is Cassette delusional? Was her flashback wrong? Yeah. Um... Right, because. If you consider, and again, I don't think this is the case because I really do think Stanley and John Buscema, you know, came up with this twist on this page. Like they didn't even know they were going here earlier in the issue. Um, But if you think that they were in the flashback in the previous issue, Doom isn't gaslighting. Doom said, oh, thing like you came here of your own volition and meant it. Yeah. And Cassette's the one that's, that's. remembering it wrongly yeah right and it's weirder because you know uh professor lafarge shoots thor and thor deflects the bullets and you know they they, they kill lafarge they ricochet off of thor's hammer and they kill lafarge thor pretty much like just flies over doom and is like i'm not bothered anymore gotta go back to new york which is an amazing way to leave <laughs> but he goes back to to tell cassette what has happened to her dad and again he lies to her as well for the sake of comfort but still but still yes what is with people just like, lying in this he, he tells he tells her he he did perish while fighting for that which he believed and the final words he spoke were of thee yeah which and to be fair that's true because he did say yeah. if only that meddlesome cassette had not sent you i'd have been rich yes <laughs> Which is again wonderful, but there's there's something I I again I don't think this is the intent. I think when they did the flashback the issue before, it was meant to be true. But I love the idea that Cassette has actually been delusional all along, and yeah. just can't deal with the idea that her dad sold her out, and has created this 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 whole thing. It turns into a darker story that I think this you know dumb genius two-parter is meant to be yeah but it's it's i kind of love that idea it's yeah. it's the doctor doom is always a robot sorry like i i love the idea that cassette has always been this delusional you know sad heartbroken and, and mind broken woman who is like someone please rescue my dad right and the dad's there going i'm going to be rich although yeah. why does he think he's going to be rich doctor doom doesn't strike me as someone who will you know contract out the creation of missiles and then pay people handsomely for it i mean he's got the money for it 
Yeah, but look what he did with, with Luke Cage. He didn't he wouldn't even pay Luke Cage just to go and be a hero for hire. Luke Cage had to go back to Liberia and do the where's my money honey moment. <laughs> we'll like, be talking yeah. about that in just a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be a good one. That's a that's a fun one. It's I don't know, it's I love this story. I do, but yeah. it's this weird story that doesn't hang together unless you add these honestly kind of tragic side I mean, bits afterwards. Know, con- contractors keep taking jobs for the Trump organization. <laughs> <laughs> like there's this perception that where there's money, you're going to get paid. I honestly thought for a second, you're going to say contractors keep taking Latvian jobs. <laughs> also true. Why <laughs> <laughs> well, Latvian for the Latvians? That, that's the takeaway from this story. Oh, you bring in a French weapons manufacturer and look what happens. <laughs> yes. Also, Thor says at one point that the reason he gets Doom to come to America to kidnap Donald Blake is that he can't go to Latveria himself. And then the rest, of, he's, he said he can't start an international incident right. by, going, by attacking him. And then the second part is just Thor completely messing things up in Latveria. Does that then, not count? Does do international incidents not count if you have been kidnapped? But also, Thor wasn't kidnapped. Donald Blake was kidnapped. It doesn't hold up legally. I know. I'm, I know. <laughs> you just gave me the greatest. You're taking this too seriously, face, which I think is appropriate. <laughs> yeah, the, the issue ends with Thor lying to Cassette and then um, flying off into space, yeah. and it's. It's such a good comic. It's these two issues are so good. They're real entertaining. Like they, they entertaining. yes, that's that's arguably better than saying good. That's actually yeah. arguably more better. They are entertaining, but they are. I think for someone, there are ages of Doctor Doom, right? There's there's eras of Doctor Doom where he's uh, cartoonish, and there's eras of Doctor Doom where he is, you know, evil and and mm-hmm. slightly taken more seriously. For anyone like me who loves like the third person monologue Doctor Doom era. This is a great two parter. Yeah. You know, you do you have you have him lounging on the chairs. You have him saying Mon and me. You have him gaslighting people. You have him taking off his mask and talking about how horrible he is. He smashes mirrors. He is completely egotistical. If no one can have this then I like I can't have this and no one can. It's classic Doctor Doom in this story. Yeah. It's so good. Graham McMillan, thank you so much again for joining us. And we've got listener mail this week from David, who writes to, quote, deplore the inking and coloring error of Doom's Mighty Gauntlets on page one of his first appearance, Kirby clearly having developed a better understanding of Lord Doom by the time he drew the cover. My disappointment that the savants discussing FF number six may have confused the Aero sub for the craft Doom flies to space. The spacecraft has a different nose cone, wings, and no keel. It's almost as if they believe his most puissant majesty has only one magenta flying machine. Even worse was their naivete in believing this was the only appearance of Richard's orbital plane. Fools to be deceived by Richard's blatant rebranding of it as his pogo plane. Further, there was no awareness that Namor's vulnerability to romance and feminine kindness could spring from nearly 20 years of amnesia, followed by the destruction of his home and the absence of his people. One might posit that Namor's later adoption of a more regal manner and form of speech is deliberate, similar to that seen in the move from Hal to Henry V. Also, he uses electric eel powers again in FF number 9. Thank you so much, David. If any other listeners have questions or comments, feel free to send them to us. The email to use is faithfulretainerboris at voiceoflatveria.com. 
Next week, James Kakalios will be joining me to talk about Warlock number 4 through 7, featuring a very different version of Victor Von Doom. The Voice of Latveria podcast is made possible by the patronage of listeners like you. If you support us through patreon.com slash douglaswolk, you'll get access to our private book club and discussion board for Marvel Nerds, the 616 Society. You can find out more about this podcast on our website, voiceoflatveria.com, and follow us on Twitter. This is Douglas Walk for the VOL. Douglas Walk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comic story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom commands you to order it. Douglas Walk appears by special arrangement with Universe 1218. His book, All of the Marvels, is a guided tour of 60 years and half a million pages of the Marvel comic story. All of the Marvels will be published by Penguin Press this October. Lord Doom commands you to order it. Zero. Two. Nine. This is the voice of Latveria. Zero. Two. Nine. Tomorrow, on Behind the Great Machine. With the recent destruction of New York City's George Washington Bridge, and Midtown Tunnel, in an attack by the Zodiac, the largest American city could have been isolated for months or years. Instead, both the tunnel and the bridge were restored to full functionality within hours. How is that possible? We investigate the city's connections to the shadowy, extraordinarily costly, but extraordinarily efficient reconstruction firms that handle the city's repairs, as well as the elusive power broker, reputed to be coordinating them, Anne-Marie Hogue. That's behind the great machine, tomorrow on the VOL. This concludes our broadcast day. May Doom's terrifying face inspire you to devotedly implement his policies, until you die. (laughs) 